Welcome to Geek Speak, bridging the gaps between geeks and the rest of humanity. I'm Lyle Troxel, and I'm a geek. And in this episode, self-indulgence. It's just been too long. I've got to record an episode. So what's been up with me? Well, I just got off a two-week vacation, but of course, because of COVID and the pandemic, I've not left the house. Instead, I've stayed here in the Santa Cruz Mountains working on projects. What kind of projects? Working on installing new dimmers in the house, replacing a fan, rebuilding a compressor, you know, electronic stuff. Fan. Uh, let's do exhaust fan. You know, in, in homes that have an attic space that are that's not insulated well. Um, the attic space is actually in a non-insulated space. You can tell because when you go into it, there's insulation on the floor between the house and the attic floor. And in that kind of situation, you'll find that the eaves actually have airflow in them. Um, the air, the design of the building actually is to make sure that that space stays dry. And to do that, you just kind of let seasonal flow occur. And so in that non-insulated attic space, the eaves um, have openings and air can collect in there and flow through there. Now, to make that efficient, you have to have some kind of venting system at the peak, at the top. Sometimes these are powered, sometimes they're designed to just be non-powered, but you'll see domes, uh, you see these in factories all the time. And these can be just a chimney effect where the higher heat rises and therefore it produces a current itself of flow, or it can be powered with a small fan. We have a, I think, quarter horsepower fan, maybe it's a half horsepower fan in our attic space. Now our attic space is actually floored and because it's floored with plywood, uh, there's no insulation in the ceiling, but um, on the base, we have stuff in there, you know, store stuff. And I think the more sensitive things would be like hard drives and my, my network equipment's actually running in there. So I don't really want the attic to get really, really hot. It's less efficient. And then because there's some boxes of old photographs and stuff, the cooler it is, the better that stuff will, will stay. So having that fan's essential. And that fan is controlled by a thermostat. It's a small box. And basically when it gets up to you can set it, but when it gets to 100 degrees, the fan turns on, and that fan just blows the air out, causing the cool air air to come in. Of course, on a hot day, it'll just run all the time because no matter what you do, the heat outside is too hot, and it will be hot. So you kind of want to set it higher than the temperature of your environment so it only turns on occasionally. When we moved in, it used to come on sometimes. We've been here for three years. It stopped working. So I went online. Oh, at first I checked out the thermostat. Thermostat was a relatively cheap thing, a little box. Um, by the way these things work is there's actually a reed switch in there, two pieces of metal. Um, one has the positive and two sides of the circuit. When these pieces of metal touch each other, they close the circuit, and they actually have like little silver pads on them so they can close the circuit. If you watch this happen, you see a bit of a spark when it opens and closes. The way it closes is actually a bimetal. You have two types of metal um, on both sides, one of these pieces of metal, if you will, has two types of metal um, sandwiched together. And these types of metal expand and contract at different uh, rates. So as it heats up, one of them is expanding more and it causes the reed to bend. And it bends towards the contact and makes a contact. Very simple little thing. And the, the, the little dial that you use to adjust that is actually just 
pushing that read ba- basis up with a spring or something. So they're really, really simple little deals. Um, in any case, I switched that box out first. I tested that box out. It was working fine. It was actually the fan itself. So I ordered a new fan on Amazon, 100 bucks. It came. It sat around. It sat around. Vacation started. I pulled the thing out and uh, put it on my bench because I had to take the fan blade off. The motor itself uh, was the thing I was swapping out. The fan blade were, was not something I bought. I had to switch that out. So I have my workbench in the shop, and I'm checking connectivity. Now, a motor is just a giant coil of wire. I mean, there's multiple types, but this motor, simple coil of wire, it has, it's, it's round, it's ring, is a whole bunch of magnets that are, um, you know, traditional earth magnets, like uh, some kind of rock that's magnetic, right? I'm not sure of the material. It's probably composite of some kind. Any case, and then in the inside is a coil of wire, and there are little contact points. And as electricity hits those contact points, the electricity flows through that coil of wire. Uh, the current going on, it's alternating current, of course, but it's also rotating. So it's switching on and off. And that produces a magnetic field that's opposing or attracting the position it's currently in, in the magnetic field that rotates. That's what hell works. So I tested the two leads going into that, and I got an open circuit. Uh, not even with the with the core, but just this direct, the, the wires themselves. <clears throat> so um, in doing that, I'm like, that's interesting. So we have a cable that's broken, but I look in and I see a little tiny piece of electronics in there. And I kind of know from experience what that actually is. There is a thermo fuse, a little bit of silicon, silicone, you know, silicon meaning there's a silicon chip, like a transistor or something like that, but it's a little little box, um, size, size of pinky fingernail, maybe smaller, rectangle plastic that has a label with two leads coming out of it. And what this is, is a fuse that doesn't blow because there's too much current, but flows blows because there's too much temperature. And this is a really important thing to have in a ceiling fan, but actually in any kind of motor, it's really essential. And the reason why it's essential is the motor is basically a giant, you know, it's, it's a giant uh, coil of wire with that you connect mains to, right? And if the magnetic field is able to rotate and move through it, the energy distribution of that turns into a magnetic field, and the magnetic field spins this thing, and the work is the motor rotating and some heat. But if the motor were to stop rotating, if you were to freeze it somehow, let's say something goes in there and dies and it gets stuck or just rusts or something occurs such that the motor cannot move, it'll start drawing current. It might be that it doesn't draw too much current to break the breaker right, the 15 amps or whatever it is, it might just run enough to heat up the wire and start a fire. So it's going to get hot first. So the manufacturers basically put this little fuse in there. If it gets hot enough that it might catch fire, the fuse breaks, burns out, and it stops the current flow. So really, it's a safety check. So that's one reason why it's really important for motors. So if you have a motor and it's a relatively simple kind of motor, smaller motor, not a multi-phase, not a you know, step motor or anything like that, but a simpler motor, you can just check it. And if it's conduct, if it's conductive through it with like an ohm meter, um, then you know that the coil's okay. If it's open, it might be that. It also might be something else, but that's normally what it is. So I go on um, Amazon with a part number and, you know, five bucks gets me five of them. So I've ordered them. So now I'm going to have a, I already bought the motor. So now I'm going to have the existing motor with that little thermocouple. When I bought the new, so I, I hooked it all up and the thermostat actually wasn't very good, but I'd bought a new one of those too. So I put that in. And what I noticed in the thermostat was really interesting. Is there's, I looked inside the box. There's actually another piece of electronics in that one. Not the old one, but the new one. And I read it through the manual and kind of understood what it was. And this is a high-temperature 
cut off. So the thermostat, that's a, a separate unit that allows you to say, when it gets to 100 degrees, turn on, or whatever temperature you set it at. This thing has a turn on at this certain temperature, and then at another temperature, it's going to turn off. This is not the motor safety valve. What this is for is for fire in the house. If you have a serious fire in your house and it's burning along, you actually don't really want that fan to blow through the roof because what you're going to do is if one of the window breaks in the house or, or if there's a fire, let's say there's a fire in that space and you turn that fan on, you're going to pull the more air into the fire. You're going to feed the flame like blowing in a fire or blowing air into a, a forge. So they now say if a certain temperature, turn off. Now, the motor, if it gets too hot, would also turn off. So fire's lapping at it. You're going to have a few failures. But I think it makes sense to go ahead and add a ceiling fan, have a high temperature turn off for fire. I have been milling redwood. So during my vacation, the other big thing I did was I invited my friend Jack, who's a former theater uh, guy with me. I grew up in a musical theater company, and he was one of the tech people and builders and performers, an amazing singer and performer. He's a great guy. He's also a musician. And I've known him since I was, you know, 10 or 11 or whatever. And a few years ago, when Maggie and I got married, he came out and helped me make a grove. And we slabbed a whole bunch of maybe um, 12-inch redwood trees, cut them in half, and made those benches for the wedding party, which was a lot of fun. And when we moved into our house in Boulder Creek, which is the Santa Cruz Mountains, uh, kind of south of Los Gatos, California, part of the Silicon Valley, um, any case in those mountains, when we, f- when we moved here, one... The house uh, was touch, was being touched by a redwood tree. So it was a relatively large diameter redwood tree that was basically touching the eave of the house, the actual, uh, yeah, the eaves of the house. The secondary tree was bumping up against the carport. So we had these two trees, three trees actually, but we only took out two of them. They were actually engaging in the house. And part of the transition of the funding of the house and stuff is we got some extra funds to remove those trees so that we wouldn't in five years have a serious problem with the house or in a really windy day actually have some cracking of windows or something. So we took those two trees out, out of the three. And because of the way things were set up, we actually dropped them in a lower part of our property that we don't have road access to or anything. And we just let them sit there in 16-foot lengths, two redwood trees, with a diameter of 36 inches. So we're talking pretty big trees at the base, at least of them. And they sat there for three years. And for this vacation, I said, hey, Jack, let's, uh, let's mill these things. So he came over with his chainsaw. And he's got a 36-inch a bar on his chainsaw. Uh, real quick, you probably have a vision of what a chainsaw is. And maybe if you've never used one, it's kind of like, oh, it's just that loud, scary machine that, that murderers in, in axe movies uh, use. A chainsaw is a pretty cool little thing. It's normally a, a two-stroke engine, one-cylinder. Um, that powers it, and they can do different different sizes. You can, though you can get electric now. Um, I think we talked about chainsaws once on on the Important Thing podcast with uh, uh, Michael Lop with Rands, one of the other podcasts I do. Any case, chainsaw, little motor, and it has a sprocket on its rotation. You know, it's it the thing that rotates is a sprocket, and on that sprocket is a chain, like a bicycle chain, right? It's very similar. And that bicycle chain, instead of riding another round a wheel or riding the bike, it only rides around that sprocket and around a bar, a flat piece of steel with a slot in it that is the length of the chainsaw, if you will. And that chain circles around that bar. One of the features of the chainsaw is it always has an oiler. So 
not just the oil for the two-stroke, but also the oil for the chain. So as you drag the chain around near the sprocket, there's a place where some oil can be deposited on the chain. It's kind of essential. So the thing that's different about this kind of chain and the bike chain that you're probably more familiar with is that this chain has little teeth pointing up, little saw teeth that take chunks out. And they're every you know fourth chain or third chain, depending on the style. And it kind of has a, a cutting tooth that cuts kind of on the top and the right, and the next chain would be at the top and the left. You can sharpen it with a little round file. And as it swings around, normally pulling, coming out from the top and coming down from the bottom, it takes little chunks of wood out. And it is extremely efficient at doing that. It's a really great thing. The sides of it, the chain, that actually rub against the wood um, need to be oiled to just get through the wood. So that's what the oiling's for, and also keep the thing lubricated so it doesn't freeze up, as chains can do. That's a chainsaw, and they are an amazingly cool tool. They're also really dangerous, and the danger comes from a few different features of it. Uh, one is you've got a long chain and your or long bar of rotating steel, so it's kind of like a skill saw, but there's no guard. It's completely exposed. Also, it um, is heavy, so and if you drop it down, it can hit your shins or your feet pretty easily just by you know using it and putting it down. And when you cut it, it normally takes a little while for it to stop spinning. So during that time of being fast, you don't want to be fast with a chainsaw. The secondary real danger of a chainsaw has to do with the kickback feature. As those teeth are digging into the wood on the downward stroke, if you will, and you hit a piece of wood, depending on your angle, the, the chain can push against that wood and get a spring effect and throw the bar back toward your face. And if that thing hits your face when it's moving, it's very bad for you. So you got to wear a helmet. you got to wear gloves. And you really should wear chaps. Uh, chaps are like thick, thick padded uh, protective things on your legs. I don't have that equipment. I have some experience with chainsaws. Uh, a few years ago, I broke my back using a chainsaw, so I know what not to do. <laughs> Anyways, Jack came over with this uh, new chainsaw. It's a still chainsaw, pretty large thing that has a 36-inch bar, right? So that means it's it's actually an 8-foot chain. The chain itself is 8 foot long if you were to disconnect it and make it straight. Huge thing. And the chain bar actually has a handle on the on the tip side. So normally chainsaws kind of are curved at the tip and are actually cutting, and you can plunge cut with them. But this one actually has a handle at the end that kind of cups the nose of it, and you can hold on to it. It'll be a little scary to hang on to that. But the other aspect of this chainsaw, what we're using it for, is for milling. And we take a, a log, just a round log. You lay it on the ground. You make it kind of flat. You find your center point of the log on both sides. The log's going to be slightly tapered. One side's going to be a little bit thicker, and the other side's going to be a little bit smaller because trees are conical in this form, right? A large redwood tree, you barely notice it, but you know, it's an inch, about, uh, it's two inches in difference in diameter across 16 feet. So you make those two marks. Then you take a really long, flat plane. And what we use for that is called a ladder, though this one is something that Jack and I made. It's a piece of wood structure that gives me a flat plane. And you basically attach that to the log and make sure it doesn't move and make that level. This is maybe four inches or five inches ladder thickness, if you will. So now you imagine a log with a flat ladder on top of it, and they're attached together, and they're not moving anywhere. You've wedged them all into it. Now, you take your chainsaw, and on top of your chainsaw bar, imagine your chainsaw bar, you put, you put your palm down, aimed out. Um, you put your palm to the ground, your hand flat. Okay? Um, that's the bar of the chainsaw, right? Now, if you were to put your other hand about, I don't know, a couple inches above your first hand, you'll see that there's two parallel lines. The bottom one's the chainsaw, 
the top one is the bar and the, sorry the the Alaskan mill and it's connected at the end of the cha- at both ends of the chainsaw with a, with rods so what you've got is a chainsaw that has a, a a limit of how deep it can go you take that top Alaskan mill and you add it you put it on top of the ladder and then you push the chainsaw through the log the ladder stops the chainsaw from moving up and down. It just moves the chainsaw very straight along the log. And you rip the log at one level all the way through the log. You pull that big piece off with the ladder or whatever, and you have a flat plane that is the top one side of the log. You now adjust your height to maybe, say, three inches. Okay, So your, your Alaskan mill is going to have a separation on the top of it to the chainsaw itself of three inches. And you lay that on top of the, of the flat part of the tree you just cut, and you push through again. And when I say push through, you know, it takes 15 to 20 minutes to get through the log, 16 feet long. It doesn't move really slow. You're just kind of slowly pushing along. When you're done with that, you have a three-inch slab of redwood, the diameter of that part of the tree, or the, the width of that part of the tree. Our larger tree, we had to skim down so we could just fit inside the chain. So I think we got a 26-inch or 27-inch slab of redwood, three inches thick. And that, and plus the second one, is going to be a table that Maggie and I will have uh, in our dining room. So we're making slabs and two-by-fours, which are real two-by-fours. All right, let me diverge down that line for a second, a real two-by-four. When you buy a two-by-four, you see a two-by-four stud for construction, that's actually an inch and a half by three and a half inches. It's not two inches by four inches. Annoying, right? Wouldn't it be great if it was just millimeters? You could just say how many centimeters you want, how many metric you want. But no, we have this kind of system of measurement, which is called two by four, even though it's a half inch in dimensions less than that. A one inch, a one by 12 board that you might make a, I don't know, a shelf with in your house. uh, That's actually three quarters of an inch. And if it's 10 inches wide, it's actually nine inches wide. If it's eight inch, if it's a a one by eight, it's three quarters of an inch by seven and a half inches. Is that annoying or what? It's like burned off a little bit of space. There's a lot of reasons for that. I don't actually know the truth, but keep in mind those things aren't measured. But when you're milling your own wood, you make it true. It's called 4-4, full, full stock size. So ours are 4-4, two by fours. 4-4 just means four quarters, a full volume um, ratio. In any case, so we're getting two inches by four inches stock. We're getting two inches by eight inches. We're getting four by four for fence. We're getting four by six for headers. And these are heartwood redwood. They're beautiful. They smell good. Chainsaw's loud, annoying, a little dangerous, but it's pretty cool. Secondary thing that happened with this is that um, when we were milling these things, the first log we cut up, we actually sliced uh, horizontal planes of it. So it's a stack of like pancakes of log, right? Two inches, three inches, whatever thickness. And then what we did was we kind of rotated that log on 90 degrees. And we cut it again. And the next time we cut down four inches. We cut, the first time we cut four inches, the second time we cut two inches, we get two by fours out of that stack. But it was a little hard to manage that. And one of the things I said is, you know, it'd be great if we just had a smaller chainsaw that I made a plate that allowed it to vertically plunge cut through boards. So you make your slab, which is, you know, 24 inches wide by two inches high, and then you just cut along that line with a chainsaw going straight down. Kind of like a skill saw you'd use, but we're, do, we're cutting through more three inches. We don't have skill saws that are that big. They do have them, but they're expensive. It's called a beam saw. So I welded up a little, fabricated a little thing, um, and that thing worked great. I'll put some pictures up on the GeekSpeak website. If you've got, for this episode, if you've got uh, like 
Overcast, which is a great iOS app for podcasting. You'll probably see a couple pictures of this stuff um, in the feed just to show you what I'm talking about. But on the website, I'll, I'll put up a video. Can I put up a video? I'll find some links. I've gotten older, and one of the things that happened this year for me, right before vacation, is I realized I could not read small print. And when I read for long periods of time, it was difficult for my eyes. So I got myself some readers. I'm doing a 1.25 magnification, or is it 1.5 magnification? I should have written that down. It's on my Amazon history. I'll look it up. So I'm wearing a 1.25 uh, magnification. Not bad. Um, my kids say they're grandpa glasses, so that's great. And I got to say that I bought three right away because people always lose their glasses, and I didn't want to do that. I need to see an optometrist, but I'm surprised how hard it's been to accept this, this clear signal of getting older and of someday dying. And of course, most of my loved ones around me, besides my children or two of my children, have no or have glasses, and they're all like, yeah, welcome to the story. You know, welcome, welcome. Today I went back to work after two weeks, and I started programming, and I'm wearing my glasses on the screen so much better. So much better. It's so funny how I I love tools. I absolutely love tools. I, I have a I have like great measuring tools right in front of me all the time. I love little tools, you know. Um, even power tools I love. Just talked about chainsaws for twenty minutes. I mean, tools are awesome. And yet glasses, I'm like, mm. and it's because at one point I didn't need them and now I do. Silly. Anyway, glasses, not bad. The next thing I've got to do, of course, is get Glasses, you know, see an optometrist actually get prescription glasses for myself that are exactly correct for me and are safety glasses because I figure I might as well have safety glasses that actually have good vision as well. You know, I don't know if I even told you that I did launch another podcast. So I currently am actively involved in four podcasts. Geekspeak, that's this one. You know about that one. The important thing with Michael Lobb, I mentioned earlier in the episode, fun show. We're having a blast talking. When uh, it's slowed down a bit lately, we've got a, a terminus on it. We've decided to give ourselves a deadline at some level. We'll see if that keeps going. I think it will, but it's an interesting experience. Uh, us being working from home 100% has, I think, kind of changed the pace of it because it used to be that we kind of met up at the office, and that was nice to do that. The big podcast I do, which is We Are Netflix, which, um, you know, was a started as a hack day project. I interview people all over the company. I learn a lot about different things throughout the company. It's about our company culture. I've had a lot of fun doing that podcast. It's a real, it feels great to have a podcast that means a lot to people. And, you know, people have come to work at Netflix um, partially because they heard of that podcast. So it feels like I'm having an impact, which is great. And, of course, it just, it feels cool to say that. I've got this big podcast with Netflix. At the same time, it's an immense amount of work. That's still going strong. And then kind of because of that podcast, I was invited to go to the arts division at UCSC and interview some artists there, some artist faculty. And that show is coming out uh, regularly once a month. I'm actually about to release another episode. And it's been, it was a blast to do. I uh, taught a course and did this class. I, mean, I did mention this on the show. And it's out, and it's called The Art of Change. So you can find that podcast, The Art of Change. You can learn all about the different podcasts or find the links to the podcast by going to my personal website, troxel.com, T-R-O-X-E-L-L.com. 
Well, I think that's it for my little self-indulgence. It's rare that I do an episode with just myself. For years, I did it with other people. Um, but I just had this inkling to say something and say hi and talk about chainsaws and, and all the things that's going on with me. So there's a little bit about an update from me. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. And uh, if you'd like, you're welcome to join us in the Slack group that's the Geeks. And if you go to Patreon and you uh, connect through Patreon and donate, you know, say I'll give a dollar an episode or whatever, then we'll invite you into the Slack room. And of course, I appreciate the commitment to my creative endeavors of doing GeekSpeak and the other podcasts. If you go there, you can learn more about that at geekspeak.org. And if you'd like to just get invited to the Slack uh, but you don't want to give me money per episode, that's totally fine. Just email me. I'm lyle at geekspeak.org, and I will invite you to our Slack to say hi with me and the geeks. Geekspeak is a registered service mark of David Lawrence and is used with permission in Geekspeak is Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 which means you can do anything you want with this content. You can remix it and reuse it. Just let them know that we exist or that I exist. Thanks for listening. Till next time, I'm Lyle Troxel.